The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Take your copy of God's Word, and if you need one, grab a Bible in the rack in front of you. We're opening to the book of Job, and uh, we'll be reading from several places in the book of Job this morning, but starting in Job 37, it's on page 442 of a Bible in the pew rack, uh, so do grab a copy of God's Word there. Um, we are now in our third week of a summer series, uh, not continuous exposition, but rather topical addressing hard questions. And these are hard questions that both we ask of our own faith, but also hard questions that we perhaps receive from those who are inquisitive but don't share our faith convictions, and they are asking us questions about the faith that we have. And as those people ask us questions, we say, well, that's a hard question. So they are both questions that we're trying to engage from the perspective of the Christian believer asking to grow in greater knowledge of their own faith and questions that are asked that cause the Christian believer uh, to need to be equipped to articulate that faith, especially to those who don't share our faith convictions. So our third week of hard questions. Now, let me tell you that I am not going to give you the question today until about halfway through. I'm not going to tell you what the question is, but instead I'm going to build a case from the Scriptures with an answer to the question. So it'll be something like Sermon Jeopardy this morning where I'm giving you the answer and you've got to be able to find out what's the question. What is the question? So I hope that you'll be interested in that format, if not the substance itself. So as you're turning to Job, uh, I will introduce to you, the sermon title is The Greatest Category Error, and you might say, what's a category error? A category error is a logical fallacy, meaning an argument that doesn't make sense, and the fallacy of a category error is this. When something belongs to one category, but it is presented as if it belongs to another category. Or when a property is ascribed to a thing that could not possibly have that property. For example, what color is the number seven? Right? That doesn't make any sense. What does Tuesday smell like? How much does the Pythagorean theorem weigh? What does the first law of thermodynamics like to have for breakfast? And unfortunately, a modern illustration of this, the womb of a man. These are category errors. They don't make sense in and of themselves because they ascribe properties that don't belong to the thing that's being described. We're going to be addressing this morning the greatest possible category error that can be committed in the Christian faith. And for that, we turn to the book of Job. And just to give you a very quick summary of the book of Job, the book of Job is one man's experience of a sovereign God and his trouble in receiving that experience. Job undergoes great suffering, and in the process of his suffering, asks God a lot of questions. And in asking God a lot of different questions, uh, he moves from a reverent asking of those questions to an irreverent questioning of God, eventually and inevitably 
putting God in the dock is a phrase that is sometimes used, or putting God on the witness stand and me as a trial lawyer saying, okay, God, it's time for you to submit yourself to my line of questioning. It's time for you to give me an answer to what I demand. And where we're reading from is at, toward the end of the book of Job, when Job has asked those types of questions and he is getting an encouragement, first of all, from a friend about how not to ask those type of questions. And then finally, God will respond to Job, it says, out of a whirlwind. So let's pray and ask God's blessing upon the scriptures and then we'll hear God's word together. Great God, we bow now in the assembly of your people, thankful for the church and thankful for this church family. We pray now that as we've opened up the scriptures together, that you who by your Holy Spirit has authored these for us, has given the revelation of yourself to us in this written word, that we might know you, Lord, that we might encounter your word with faith, with reverence, with trust, with knowledge, with understanding, and Lord, with a deeper conviction that you are the God who speaks and you are the God who is true. So Lord, bless now the reading and hearing and proclamation of your word that we together might be a faithful Christian people. We ask now in Jesus' name, amen. Now hear God's word at Job 37, uh, beginning at verse 14, we'll be reading through 38, 18. And then skipping into uh, chapter 40. Job 37 at verse 14. This is the word of God. Hear this, O Job. Stop and consider the wondrous works of God. Do you know how God lays His command upon them and causes the lightning of His cloud to shine? Do you know the balancing of the clouds, the wondrous works of Him who is perfect in knowledge? You whose garments are hot... When the earth is still because of the south wind, can you, like him, spread out the skies hard as a cast metal mirror? Teach us what we will say to him. We cannot draw up our case because of darkness. Shall it be told to him that I would speak? Did a man ever wish that he would be swallowed up? And now no one looks on the light when it is bright in the skies, when the wind has passed and cleared them. Out of the north comes golden splendor. God is clothed with awesome majesty. The Almighty, we cannot find Him. He is great in power. Justice and abundant righteousness He will not violate. Therefore men fear Him. He does not regard any who are wise in their own conceit. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this? that darkens counsel by words without knowledge. Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you will make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know, or who stretched the line upon it. On what were its bases sunk? 
Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with its doors when it burst out from the womb when I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far you shall come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning? Since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld and from their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. And now at verse 40, chapter 40, 1 to 5. And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God abides forever. So may He write truth in our hearts today. Do keep your Bible open there as God has spoken to Job. Now again, I'll just remind you that that Job, Job has asked a lot of questions of God. And up to this point, God has not spoken to Job. Uh, He has simply received the questions. He has not responded. But at chapter 30, chapter 38, chapter 38 verse 1 says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. So you could imagine that God has been subject to all of Job's questions and has not spoken as Job has mounted up more and more and more reasons for why he thinks that God is in his dock and Job is questioning God. And God finally responds to Job. Now, uh, I would encourage you that uh, Job 38-41, to we didn't read all of that obviously, but Job 38-41 to is one of the most helpful places that you could possibly turn in the Bible when you need a, a bit of decreasing, when you need a bit of humility. Because as you're reading what what God is saying to Job, uh, God doesn't answer Job's questions as such, but he is addressing the fact that Job insists that he will put God in his dock. And when you read how God responds, he is saying to Job, Job, there are limits to your knowledge because you weren't there when I made the world. And the details to which God goes in saying that to Job reduce Job. So, Job 38, verse 4, Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundation of the earth? You weren't there. You don't know. And even, in fact, throughout this section, God is almost, we could say, in a bit of sarcastic employment of logic saying, Job, surely you were there. Surely you know. But of course you weren't. 
So you don't. The details in this section are really significant. Now, there is more to say about this, but the summary of what God is saying to Job is, Job, you need to realize that I am God and you're not. You need to realize that I am the Almighty and there is only one. So Job, in responding, at one point says, okay, sorry I asked. Puts his hand on his mouth. But then God says, no, 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 it's not enough. You don't realize that it's foolish for you to put me in your dock. And he goes on and pours out more reasoning. And finally, Job says at the end of it, I'll just keep my peace. Now, this is the witness of what the Bible has to say about who God is. I've chosen this particular section of Scripture to read out as an illustration of God authorizing Himself and only Himself as the only God. But this is the witness of the entire Bible. Let me me read to you from many places now in building this case of God as the one true, infinite, almighty, everlasting, eternal God. When God told Moses His name in Exodus 3, God said, My name is I Am. I am who I am. And Moses writes of that great I am in Psalm 90, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And the prophet Isaiah speaks of this everlasting God in Isaiah 40, saying, Have you not heard? Have you not known? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or weary. His understanding is unsearchable. When the Apostle Paul is speaking of this unsearchable God in Acts 17 to the Greek philosophers, the God of Scripture is to be and says, I am the one who is not served by human hands as though I need anything, since God Himself is the one who gives life and breath to all things. In Romans 11, Paul says that God is the one who from whom and for whom and to whom are all things. And Jesus Himself says in John 5.26 that the Father has life in Himself. Moreover, the Apostle Paul says, uh, Apostle John records the voice of God in Revelation 1, declaring, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the, the Almighty. That is to say that God dwells in the past, God dwells in the present, God dwells in the future, into all eternity, because He does not subject Himself to the limitations of time. He is outside of time as the sovereign over time. We sing that every week in the Gloria Patri. Glory be to the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, who was, who is, and who is to come, world without end. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean, was in the beginning, was and ever shall be? Or another way of asking is, what happened before Genesis 1-1? What is true of reality before God creates reality? What was in the beginning? What is now and whatever shall be? God Himself. This is the seemingly incomprehensible truth that God is His own is. He is His own being. He is His own existence. God simply is. What are we talking about? What's the question? What is the question that we're building this biblical case for? And it's this. It's this question. I wonder if you've ever been asked it or asked yourself. If God made everything, who made God? 
If God made everything, who made God? That's, that is the question, and that is also the question that presents the greatest category error that you could possibly make about the Christian faith. Why? Because that which is eternal doesn't come into being. The Creator of all things is Himself uncreated. The Creator is not created. The Maker is not made. You can only ask who made something of things that can be made. If God is made, then He cannot be God. If God made everything, who made God? The answer is no one. Because God is not made. He simply is. He has being within Himself. If God made everything, who made God? The answer is no one. And the question is not posed accurately, but we'll come back to that. What are we pulling out of the the Scriptures here by way of a teaching, by way of a a doctrine, by way of a truth? Well, uh, last year I read a detailed accounting of the astronauts of the Apollo 8 mission. Rocket Men was the name of the book, the first successful mission in the midst of a tense space race and at the end of a turbulent cultural year uh, to orbit the moon. Christmas Eve, 1968. Some of you were alive. The crew of Apollo 8 entered lunar orbit and would eventually take that famous picture called Earthrise as uh, from the perspective of the moon, the the, the earth is being looked down upon coming up over the horizon, uh, the appearance of the earth rising over the moon. And in the midst of that moment, via television broadcast, Humanity was, for the first time, looking down upon the earth, and they read to a radio audience of an estimated one billion people, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And they went on, each of the three astronauts taking turns, reading from Genesis 1 to 10, implying that in the midst of this incredible act of human venture, and to be sure it remains one of the most fantastic of all human achievements, you have more technology in your pocket, in your cell phone, than the technology capacity of sending Apollo 8 to the moon. But they acknowledged that they are not masters of this world, they are a part of this world, and subject to the God who has made it. Human beings, with all of their increasing capacity to explore the magnitude of the world, are still subjects, they are still created. It's interesting that NASA never instructed the astronauts to do that. Their only instructions were to say something, quote, appropriate. Well, that's what they chose as appropriate. In fact, there were lawsuits filed against them by atheist groups violating the First Amendment, but the federal government didn't agree because then last, the next year, 1969, the U.S. Uh, Postal Service issued a stamp with the Earthrise photo and the words, in the beginning, God. Where did God come from? To ask that question assumes a created God and makes a category error Because the question as asked in that way necessarily rules out the answer that the Bible gives, which is God is eternal. What this is called, and what this teaching of the Bible is, is this Christian doctrine called divine aseity. This is the doctrine of divine aseity. The word aseity is from the Latin ase, meaning from one's self or by one's self. Aseity means self-existence, from oneself. 
when we say that God is a say, or when we speak of God's divine aseity, it means that God is entirely self-sufficient and not dependent upon anything. He has no cause because He is derivative from no source. He is the uncreated Creator of all things. God doesn't even cause His own being. God's being has no point of origination because He is eternal. He simply is. Which is why He says, My name is I Am. And He has always been. And He will always be. God does not have existence. He is existence. This is significant. Because when He asked in Isaiah 40.25, To whom will you compare me? The answer is no one. No one. God is eternal. And asking who made God needs the response to say the question is a good one, but it doesn't apply. And here's why it's a good question. Because it illustrates the category error, which is again asking what silence sounds like. What does silence sounds like is like asking who made God. But again, it's a helpful question. And if you've ever been asked this question by someone before, you should be encouraged because their impulse is right. It's a helpful question because they understand that things must be derivative. They must come from somewhere. And so they are applying a conclusion to say, well, if everything comes from somewhere, then that means that God must come from somewhere. And that person is at least thinking somewhat correctly because, again, think about it this way. Is there anything that exists? The answer is yes. Ask your most stringent, opposed friend, the most opposed person to the Christian faith you know, and ask them the question, does anything exist at all? And if they say no, you say, well, what what are we doing here? You exist, don't you? Does anything exist? And the answer, of course, is yes. You come into being. You can't get something from nothing. If you believe that there is a something and it's you, you must believe that something has always existed to bring something because you can't get something from nothing. And if you believe that you can't get something from nothing and you grant that there is now a something that exists, then there must have always been a something. So the question is, what is the something that has always been? And the answer, of course, is that it's not a something, but a someone. Namely, God Himself. Now, you say, yes, but... Lots of people disagree about that. Even really intelligent people, of course. I was curious because I wanted to know, what does Elon Musk think of this? Well, Elon Musk was asked the question. Now, by uh, categories, the richest man in the world and perhaps the most intelligent. He's got a lot going for him, right? Elon Musk has asked, where where does everything come from? I mean, he could answer the question to the degree of the most advanced astrophysicist that would make me feel like a worm crawling on the ground. But his answer is, well, there must be some kind of superconsciousness. But he says, where does that superconsciousness come from? His answer to that is, well, it's most likely an explanation that complexity has evolved from simplicity and that simple elements over time evolved to become more complex. And the answer is, well, where did the simple element come from? 
Stuff comes from somewhere. So his answer is agnostic, to be sure, but he's smart enough to know that it comes from somewhere. And he grants, you've got the originating question. If there is a something rather than nothing, where does the something come from? And the Bible says, a timeless, eternal, infinite, unchanging being cannot have a cause. He is the first cause. He transcends time and space and matter in the beginning God. Now what's also helpful about this, if you want to come with me into the Gospel of John in the New Testament, is that to answer the question, who created God? And the answer is, no one. He is uncreated. Also very helpfully applies in the teaching of the New Testament to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 In John chapter 1, the Apostle John is speaking of Jesus Christ in this very way. In what we call the prologue to John's Gospel, where John is particularly writing, yes, of course, for the reception of the Christian community, but John's target apologetic audience, meaning the people he is most likely to encounter who disagree with him, would be Greeks. Gentiles, non-Jews. So where Matthew's gospel is written with a, a Jewish audience in mind, Matthew is writing with a defensible position for Jewish argument. John is writing for a defensible position of a Greek audience who operates in terms of Greek philosophy, who admits that there are things that are made and things that there are unmade. And John writes the prologue to his gospel with the clear indication that Jesus Christ cannot be assigned to the category of created things. Look at John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things that were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John says, there are things that are made. There are created things. Things that come into being. And Jesus Christ is not one of those things. Because He was in the beginning with God. The Word was God. God Himself, which is Jesus Christ, the second person of the eternal triune God, is the uncreated divine Creator, the God who has aseity and self-existence within Himself. This is who God is. God is not made. Jesus Christ is not made. Jesus Christ does not even come into being as the second person of the Trinity. He simply is. So, what does that mean for you? What does that matter for you? And what good is that for you? How should we use this doctrine of divine aseity in response to the question, who made God? Several things, three of them. One is, you should worship and adore the triune, uncreated, sovereign, eternal, self-existent God. You should worship this God 
as we sing glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost, this is a ascription of glory because we are saying to you, Lord, to you and none other, do we give our highest praise? Do we give our adoration and affection and love and obedience? It is to you that we offer these things. This is the God who we worship. And that means by way of consequence that it doesn't make sense to worship anything else. So we must worship this God. We must worship and revere this God. Secondly, by way of commitment, if this is true of God, if this is true that He is the uncreated Creator and you are His created being who comes to existence, it means that you should uh, be encouraged to be a person growing in your commitment to know this God. To know and study His works of redemption in history because everything that you read in the Bible is the unfolding plans of this eternal, uncreated God who has existence within Himself, who is working out His purposes that exist as a plan that has no beginning, just like He has no beginning. And so when you read the Bible, you are reading the narrative history of the God of salvation's eternal purposes. And that should be of infinite interest to know who this God is and what He has done, to learn how He has worked out redemption and grow in the knowledge of how He has done. We should worship Him. We should grow in our commitment to know Him. And finally, we should increase in our trust and confidence of Him. Christian believer, why is it that you should have confidence in God's promises? Why is it that you should have trust in God's Word? Why is it that you should have hope in His presence? Because the God in whom you trust is infinite, eternal, almighty, has existence within Himself, and there is no deeper well from which you could draw faith and assurance than that. To trust God's Word and believe His promises as the God who has no beginning and who has no end, who dwells from everlasting to everlasting, who when He speaks His Word, speaks with all sovereign authority. Christian believer, your hope and trust in God is in the safest possible place it could be. So have every hope and trust in Him. Worship and adore Him. Be committed to know and grow in your knowledge of Him and trust and have confidence in your hope in Him because our God is the God who is not made. The God from everlasting to everlasting and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in whom we hope. Believe it with all of your heart and let your heart be thrilled by that truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice in the substance of who You are as the uncreated God, we thank You that for all the questions that exist in the world, that these questions lead us to the knowledge of the truth that is found in Your Word. So Lord, bless and keep us in this knowledge and grant us comfort in accord with it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit Edgington epc.org. May God bless and keep you.